was the Smiths with the track Headmaster's Ritual from the album Meat is Murder. This is Dave Listo. This is The C86 Show. Welcome once again to another thrilling ride of life, as I'll be bringing you songs you know, some you don't, and some you should. As always, playing the finest in indie pop. Well, this week isn't really indie pop, but it is another band from Manchester. This this week it's going to be 808 Day because I caught up with Graham Massey a month or so ago to talk about love, life and poetry. Probably not, but um, somewhere in that region. So I've got that interview that I'll bring in about uh, three or four easy to digest little segments throughout the show. But to kick it all off and to get the party rolling, this is your favourite of mine. This is Pacific State.
Indeed, it brings back so many good memories. That is a 808 state in the track Pacific, as if I needed to say anything. Anyway, this is David Eastall. This is the C86 show, uh, bringing you the finest, often say um, at this point, in indie pop. But this week it is going to be ambient rave, isn't it, instead? But for those of a certain generation, we just consumed everything and much, much more. Anyway, this week uh, you'll find that 808 state will be at the waterfront in Norwich on the 7th of December. So check it out, get a ticket. It might just change your life and get you in the party spirit but anyway but the main thing is i caught up with graham massey from the band a few weeks ago probably months now um so i've got that interview that i'm going to play very soon but before any of that interesting chat i think we'll play another track by the band and then the first part this is cobra bora Let's <laughs> go. 
indeed. Exciting stuff. That was 808 State and the track Colbert Bora. This is David Eastall. This is the C86 Show. If you want to contact me, we always love your messages, as long as they're kind of positive and groovy. Otherwise, don't bother. But you can via Facebook or Twitter. Just go to at C86 Show. I will be there. But anyway, this is going to be the first part of my interview with Graham Massey, who, as I said, is um, half of the band and also will be coming to the waterfront on the 7th of December. And we had just been talking about Glastonbury, 1992, as old people do. That was the year all, the orb were headlining and also a lot of uh, rave acts were there, including 808 State. But then after that, I began by talking about his first band, Biting Tongues. And this was Graham's reply. Graham, take it away. Yeah, you probably heard those through John Peel as well, you know, because they were on um, Bitey Tongue. I was in Bitey Tongues for about 10 years. They were on uh, originally New Hormones Records, who put out the Buzzcocks. So, like, very much a punk label in Manchester. And then Factory Records in Manchester as well, you know. And, of course, John Peel would be playing uh, that anything Factory put out back then. And, uh, yeah, that was kind of like a real learning process for me in, in that band we're very much a post-punk band in the in the same kind of genre as maybe like uh acr certain ratio from manchester or 23 skidoo uh from london we played with though that band a few times um so it's part of that kind of uh punky jazz scene you know it's kind of squalling saxophones and um you know music concrete meets spoken word and you know it's, it's quite an arty band that that and uh you know when we formed 808 state there's little bits of um the the sort of musical vocabulary from that band that came into uh 808 state so it's not like um a pure form of acid house that we were doing we're always kind of messing with the 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 edges of acid house, you know, and because because the UK had this established electronic scene anyway, you know, through bands like uh, Throbbing Gristle and um, Cabaret Voltaire and bands like that were very much aware. Me, me and Martin, being a little bit old, were very aware of these kind of industrial bands from the UK, and uh, they were a, a big influence on the way we made music. Yes. And because one thing I've noticed with most people who, who have sort of been in bands in various degrees is that normally they spend about five years and then that's it. So it's quite unusual. I haven't met that many people who've gone from one band into another band almost seamlessly because often by the end of that, you know, that one musical journey, which is still fantastic because a lot of people don't even get through that period. Because what I've noticed is most people, they form some sort of band, <clears throat> you know, they play to their friends and family and anybody else who they can emotionally blackmail to go and see them. And if it, and it's that John Peel, you know, if he picked it up and plays it, you know, it gives them that sort of wider audience around the country and they might get, you know, a gig in Norwich, Sheffield, Glasgow, you know, or you know, down to Brighton, you know, and then a John Peel session would be another thing. And then the album and things were going pretty well at that stage. But then the second album, and what I also found is if, if anybody ever toured America, they seem to come back kind of not quite the same. And, and you know, the band it. <laughs> the band would sort of pretty well sort of be on its last legs by the, the post-American tour. So, so you, how did you manage to sort of, you know, spend 10 years in, in Bite and Tongue and then go into 808 State? Um, I don't really know. I think there's a certain breed of musicians that that are lifers, and I think particularly in Manchester, I know a number of 
people who would not give up music and music carries on despite the economic situation around it you know we didn't sort of get into music particularly to um you know for fame and fortune no it was a a kind of calling that was uh you know growing up through the sort of thatcher years of the 80s it was like something that we did to kind of remain mentally healthy So it was kind of like we didn't have a lot else to do. It was a very social activity and we were pretty obsessed with listening to music. You know, it's like music is almost the form of religion to to, uh, me and quite a lot of the musicians in Manchester, you know, and I I can't speak for it. I mean, it would seem the rest of the world, but we felt very uh, colloquial and isolated back in Manchester during the 80s. You didn't have ambitions of getting out into the wider world. It wasn't until bands like New Order sort of demonstrated that you could both be um, colloquial and international. You know, they were a real inspiration. That They kind of stayed in Manchester. They didn't make it big and go to London. They kind of made it big and put back into their city and took on international influences, you know, so that they were a big uh, signpost to what you might do if you got a foot in the door, which we did. And well, we stayed in Manchester, worked in Northern studios and and had a sense of putting back into where we came from, uh, which still continues today. You know, I think it's uh, a much uh, more fluid place to play music than London, for instance. Yes, and and um, the one thing I did notice from sort of the, the music scene from Manchester, which obviously sort of been obsessed, you know, as I sort of said with about the whole John Peel world, was that you know it was last year I think Cherry Red Records brought out a seven CD compilation of of music from that sort of I don't know yeah. what, what years it stretched, but it was the late seventies to the nineties, and it was like kind of unbelievable sort of coming from a city where we've only got a you know we've had a lot of bands play but we haven't I wouldn't say Norwich has got an amazing music scene you know we've got a few bits and pieces but nothing of that caliber and and that kind of intensity and it's kind of interesting because because Liverpool had that world of um yes was it big in Japan that seemed to sort of sort of be a a nucleus of, of lots of kind of exciting and slightly crazy people like the klfs came from that group uh frankie goes to hollywood and uh and what was the lightning seeds wasn't the it? lightning seeds yeah yeah so in within that band there was all that talent in one band and i i, I could think of bands in manchester that exp- that were almost like super groups but nobody knew it you know there was a great band from manchester that i was lucky to be involved with called home life um which was um like a 12-piece orchestra, really. But, you know, within that band, there's uh, um, a musician called Paddy Steer who's doing some amazing music at the moment. He has a... Um, and was back then. And James Ford, who went on to be Simeon Mobile Disco, and he produces bands like... Well, he's just produces... He's one of the UK's top producers. You know, he does, like, uh, you know, uh, The Arctic Monkeys, um, Depeche Mode... Um, you know, dozens of uh, bands that he's produced. And uh, uh, who else is in that band there? Seeming Toe, who's a great singer. Uh, I mean, it was just an amazing sort of set of talent that that existed for about two or three years. And then there's bands like this forming all the time. You know, it's very, you know, 
very exciting stuff going out well, there. Well, last year I sort of interviewed Paul Handley, who did a book called Leave the Capital, a history of, uh, was it Manchester Music? Oh, I love in, that book. Yeah. 13 recordings, that, which is quite yeah. extraordinary, really. And, and... I absolutely love that book. And, uh, you know, because it was the world that I grew up in, you know, uh, in, within Manchester, we used to have uh, these kind of legendary pop stars amongst us. For instance, we used to look after get Kevin Godley's um, sports car when it was parked outside the library. We would mind it for him kind of thing when we were like 10 or something, you know. Excellent. I didn't realise that uh, the, the, the 10cc connection was so important to some of the recordings that... Uh, that happened in Manchester. Yeah, know. because we we knew they had a recording studio, the Strawberry Recording Studio, and we used to go and camp outside that place. It was a very mythical place, you know. And uh, eventually, when we actually got to get through the doors and record there, you know, we did some Biting Tongues recording there and some Eight to Eight recording there. Um, then it was a very hallowed place, you know. And uh, you know, I was pretty obsessed with studios around the northwest and. I became, uh, I learned to do audio engineering. So all these mythical studios were you know, almost like churches to me. You know, there was Pennine Studios near Rochdale and Mirage Studios in Oldham. And, uh, you know, people like Joy Division had recorded there, you know, and, you know, there were places where magic had happened, you know. So I was very much um, interested in uh, these places. And it talks in that book about, another studio called Pluto, uh, formed uh, by uh, some people from Herman's Hermits. Oh, yes. <laughs> and, uh, uh, who were also, I remember them being around when uh, one of them going to my brother's school and just the fact that there were pop stars amongst us seemed really exciting in the 1960s, you know. Oh, God, it would, yes, absolutely. God, it would have been amazing. I don't think we met anybody in, in this kind of neck of the woods from, I don't know, a member of the Farmer's Boys. Well, possibly. actually, you know, uh, you, you do have Electronic Music Magazine based in Norwich, which uh, is a very good... Uh, one of the the last of the great um, paper magazines that you can get W H Smiths about electronic music. It's uh, it's been running for about two years now, and uh, you know that's based in Norwich. So we're hoping that they're going to come down to. Um, there's a journalist called Push who oh, uh, yes. he's been going for many years at the um, you know in various publications and has reviewed our music in various guises over the years so i bumped into him at a thing called um synth fest in sheffield the other day they had a stand there so uh hopefully we're going to see um those guys down at norwich yeah. and it'd be good to go to the waterfront again because we i think we i'm not sure if we played the opening night there or the, the second night it was open or something we appeared there very very early on and that's the first part of my interview with Graham Massey from 808 State. And I do believe he's right. They were the first band to open at the waterfront. There you go. It all makes sense. And also he mentions, or we mentioned a book that came out last year by Paul Handley titled Leave the Capital, A History of Manchester Music in 13 Recordings. And that came out on right publishing and it's worth checking or tracking down because it's a, a fantastic read anyway a little bit more music before the next part of the interview this is quark or mark
That is a 808 state with Bjork and the track called Quark. This is David Eastall. This is the C86 show. And um, as you gather, it's an 808 special because I caught up with Graham Massey from the band. And this is the second part of the interview where I was talking about the kind of general musical scene of this sort of late 80s and early 90s with all those classic people like Adamski, The Grid, The Orb and also Guru Josh. What not to like. Anyway, this was his reply. Martin, no. Graham, take it away. Yes, it, it would do because we uh, Martin having the record shop, um, he was receiving all this music from around the world, uh, you know, a lot of American import records. And maybe there'd only be, you know, 10 coming to the country and he'd have... Uh, it wasn't, a, you know, some of these things were really rare. So he had access, you know, great access to this music. And you talk about the Italian stuff. They had a supplier from Italy. And the thing we noticed about the Italians is that if there was a hit, they'd make a really cheesy version of whatever record was doing well that week. You know, they'd just basically make bootlegs and things. You know, the Italians were quite... Um, um, you know, cheeky that way, you know. Yes. And uh, then it was all, you know, and and it became like you didn't know where this music was coming from a lot of the time. You know, it was coming from all over the world and the world was talking this language amongst themselves. You know, this this new kind of music did generally seem international and everyone was uh, having, uh, you know, the same conversation, really. So, yeah, it was a very exciting um, moment where borders were coming down it was at the time you know the you know it said in that we were talking about the berlin wall coming down in that uh, tv series um can you feel it you know and it was very much you felt these these borders melting at that point in um, the early 90s you know late 80s early 90s there was a sense of like uh, a chain you know a definite political change going on and a, a movement of the people, you know. Yes. And, yeah. So yeah, it, it genuinely felt like that. And also, as, as sort of having to sort of, because you brought out a lot of albums, didn't you? Quite, you know, almost kind of every year. Which I guess you, yeah, you know, it, it was your point. Yeah. You were very busy. I mean, keeping that process and keeping that creativity is obviously going to be quite hard. How did how did you manage to sort of navigate through through those periods? Because often people change, things happen, people either get into relationships, which often causes you know commitments kind of issues, and also musical differences and changes like that. So I, just I, wanted... I think there was a good flow. You know, we had this flow of new technology coming in. That that was an exciting thing that kept kept you uh, on your toes because all the time this new music technology was kind of coming into the market then we were had new toys every week you know uh, also this thing of uh, remixing other artists was uh, you know something that kept it really fresh so for the first time we'd received tapes from um, all manner of uh, different kinds of music we, we mixed the avant-garde trumpet player uh, John Hassel was one of our early remixes who, who made records with Eno um, and then we might be remixing uh, people like Quincy Jones, you know, um, uh, David Bowie got in touch for remixes. Um, you know, all kinds of music was coming in for remixes. Uh, so that kept everything fresh and broad. And then, you know, we were off like you know, in side projects with things. Uh, I ended up working with Bjork, of course, which um, doing things like Army of Me and... Um, 
you know, that was early in the 90s. Uh, so there was always new projects on the go. You know, there was a, a flow of um, possibilities coming in. Everybody wanted this new kind of dance sound, but nobody was an expert. So it, it was, a, um, you know, a time of possibilities. Yes. But you were... Indie singers with, uh, you know, dance music was a new thing then. You know, it's a, like a commonality now. But when we got um, Bjork on that XL album that we did and uh, Bernard Sumner and, you know, worked with Ian McCulloch and people like that, it was uncommon for dance music acts to cross-generate like that. Yes. Well, actually, one of those, I had completely forgot about that, but when Madonna brought out that classic album that had been produced by, oh, William Orbit. God, I remembered. Um, that particular album was probably one of her finest. And it, and it was a bit of a surprise because it it was a bit of a change of direction, obviously going to be a bit of experiment. But it was, um, was it Ray of Light? Yeah. And that... I mean, that, well, that was kind of mid-90s, wasn't it? You know, that's kind of... Was it? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah. It might have been. I can't. Yeah. It seems like a long time ago, but I can remember hearing it and it was a different sound. But she had managed to just get in there. She, you know, it's like I great, great, art, great anyone, artists don't often copy. They just manage to get in there somewhere, don't they? Yeah. Well, I don't think anyone could not be affected by the huge change in the club scene. You know, um, you know, she she always she come from the clubs, hadn't she? You know, he, you know, I remember that Vogue track being huge when we first went to New York, and that was like '89 or something. And you know, you heard that, and all the remixes from that from the New York DJs was, you know, she clubbing to her wasn't new. You know, she was just sort of trying on. Uh, I think she just go through a, a British phase when working with uh, William Orbit, and she worked with Nellie Hooper as well on Bedtime Stories, which was the one that preceded it. Yes, well, I think one of her first ever performances in the country was at the Hacienda, wasn't it? When she was that's true. Yeah. Yes. So look, as you were sort of raving through the nineties, and we were all getting very excited with Britpop, and then sort of New Labour, and it was all going to be very exciting. Did the band come to a finish just at that kind of moment when everything was going to change politically? Um, no. Um, I mean, this is strange about, you know, we're doing this tour in uh, November and December this year, and it's the 30th anniversary tour. And the thing is, we've not had a year when we've not done gigs. You know, we've not had a year of rest, really, in the past 30 years. You know, we've, we have carried on, but some, some years it's just not been that visible. So, um, you know, if you go to 808state.com, there's a list of gigs there, and, it, and you'll see that every year, we're, we're, you know, we've continued, you know. It's just... Um, it, it, that's the odd thing about taking it this long uh, with a timeline this long you know people come back and go like oh you're you're reforming it's like no we never split up you know (laughs) we've we've had issues you know we've had uh, certain ups and downs and people leaving and you know like any family would you know and you know we are a family you know and uh it's not just the musicians of the band it's the tech you know the the crew and everyone that comes along with it you know so yeah there's a long story to it all and um you know it's 
is in recent two years where we've been recording new stuff. So, you know, this is this for me is a new chapter in that we've been very studio bound in the past couple of years, um, producing stuff that we hope to get out next year. There you go. That is the second part of my interview with Graham Massey from 808 State. We've still got a little bit more of that interview before the end of the show, but um, I think we'll have another track by the band. This is Kubrick. System for a backup system for the parachute system. If I'm conscious, I will not wear a parachute. Hello, all you parachutes out there! And the Marines! Hello, all you parachutes out there! And the Marines! Hello, all you parachutes out there! And the Marines! Hello, all you parachutes out there! And the Marines! Hello, all you parachutes out there!
morning, sir. Good morning. Are you the lady about the job? Yes, sir. Are you from the country? Anything wrong about country girls, oh, sir? No, 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 not oh. a thing. Uh, tell me something, by the way. You like music? <laughs> yes, please, sir. <laughs> I just dig it. Here's a good one. I just pick up downtown heaven. And that's the Monkey Mafia mix of Cubic. That was also 808 State, and as I said plenty of times, and I'm just getting old and repeating myself, they are going to be in Norwich on the 7th of um, December, a Friday night. What not to like? And also, as mentioned earlier, they were the first band to play at the waterfront, I do believe. Anyway, David Eastall, the C86 Show. This is going to be the third part of my interview with Graham Massey from The Outfit, where we were talking about their recording output, and this was Graham. Yeah, the, the Graham, without post transmission is like we we had um, uh, decided to try something else after ZTT. You know, we we you know ZTT had become kind of a different label. This is the thing with the evolution of record labels. You know, people that you joined with in the beginning have all left over the course of the, of the years and you don't really know anyone there and they don't know why they've signed you and all that kind of thing. You know what I mean? The, the initial um, relationship has mutated. And uh, we got in with a, another a, a label called Circus Records who who convinced us to go with them, who immediately went bust on, on the release of our record, which put a massive dent in our trajectory. You know, so, you know, you have these ups and downs and, uh, you know, sometimes you don't you can't. Uh, uh, control it all, you know. So. Yes, well, because that's the thing that I've, I've kind of noticed with a lot of people is that um, navigating through the sort of the record label, the publishing, you know, dealing with you know di- different managers, and I've heard that one quite a few times where somebody gets signed to a, a label because they really like the person, and then they turn up, and the person is just kind of being offered another job which yeah, they can't that, refuse. Um, I can and tell they, you that's happened about five times with us, you know. Yeah, so it's like, well, I'm really sorry, I really wanted to work with you, but yeah. Paul McCartney's just said, would you like to manage this part of my business? And it's like, yeah. Paul, Mc- you don't get asked that again, so I've got to leave and 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 the people yeah, who are going to take over have got no interest in this band anymore so it's not going to be um, a good time for you guys but i'm really terribly sorry yeah all these backstories are not really interesting to the public but they they can really you know take you under at times you know and uh you've got to be grimly determined to to be making music you know because it's, it's easy for them to um you know take the fun out of uh, what you initially set out to do, you know, and it, it's it, luckily with, with us, it comes back. Or, or I think when you see us play live, you know, you can see the, 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 well, at first we have this great back catalog to, of music to choose from, but we also have this um, very pure connection with the music that, and a will to bring it alive, you know, in, in a in a you know we're not knob twiddler twiddlers you know we make this music um very bloody <laughs> <laughs> and when you were watching that documentary we mentioned and you saw those kind of absolute kind of superstar djs you know in in a stadium playing for six hours did yeah. you did you think god that 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 was that i helped create that world no <laughs> I don't think that. I just think like, well, that's that's, uh, you know. I mean, it's amazing how much money those guys make, but it's just not what we're doing. And I and, and the 
the sort of creative process is something completely different. You know, my heroes are all people like Miles Davis and people like that who who have led a creative life of like making something, then utterly destroying it and moving on to something else. You know, I, I see it's more in that kind of vein than just actually, you know, doing that um, lowest common denominator thing. Maybe I'm, you know, there's lots of people saying, well, why don't you just make, you know, commercial dance music. Well, A, it just like I'd be bored within three seconds and B, it's just sort of not what we set out to do in the first place, you know. Yes. Um but it was more know, it was more the fact that that you were that. you were part of, you know, like creating that culture which kind of has led there more than kind yeah. of than wanting to be that person. Because obviously being that person you have to be somebody quite different, which is probably not an easy place to be as as you kind of realize when some people that the, you know the tragic case of that guy killing himself eventually. yeah yeah and i mean it, it's the tough life that dj thing you know it's the tough and lonely life you know it's like they're out there you know doing that thing I and mean, we, we've we've been careful not to get um you know caught up in that that thing in in, in a way you know uh, I mean, I'm I'm talking primarily, this is me talking, you know, you talk to maybe Andrew from the band who's very much more of a DJ than I am. I haven't got a, that kind of DJ kind of head, you know, I'm a more of a sort of muso kind of head, you know. So, you know, I'm going to have a different perspective to him, but, uh, you know, he's, you know, he loves DJing and going out and doing all that kind of thing. So I can't really speak for him, you know, but we are this hybrid. I've yes. been a weird hybrid band, you know. And when you look at the people that you had started with, roughly, you know, in about a five or ten year sort of starting lineup, but you know, like the the Orb and Underworld and and sort of yeah. um, Orbital, um, is it? Do you kind of enjoy sort of because? Um, kind of seeing how each other's developed because obviously when you're sort of young and you're starting there's possibly a bit of sort of jealousy and competitiveness and then you get to an age where you don't really care and just quite enjoy and relax a bit more in life I think that's that's what I've sometimes noticed I just wonder if you kind of look across and see who's still sort of in the game and who's kind of dropped out and you know and what people are doing yeah, we're, we're pretty aware of, you know, we we went to see Orbital uh, in, last time they played in Manchester and, and, you know, had a good chat afterwards. It's interesting, you know, because we all have, you know, similar kind of trajectories and, and, and issues and problems. And sometimes it does get down to, you know, just, just sharing your experiences is really valuable with people that have been through the whole thing. You know, uh, you know, it's generally what we chat about when we meet up with people on the road is these sort of like, you know, these, you know, some of the difficulties of it, you know. And, uh, you know, I, I think back to when we were starting as well, we I, you, we used to go and see the Orb down in London. And there was a, a, a manager guy who we were going to go with who was managing um, some of those people and we'd go and st- stay at the KLF house and, you know, uh, go and visit youth and um, um, and Alex and see what they were up to. And I remember them doing like little fluffy clouds and all that kind of thing in these little um, bedroom studios, you know. And, you know, have that connection that goes way back to then, you know. And it was a... Uh, uh, I know where they came. They came from a similar place to where we came from, you know, in terms of... Uh, the British counterculture music that came from the 70s, 
you know, they, they, they're a similar age to me and they had a similar journey through it and therefore it informed that music with a kind of um, the counterculture that came before. You know, the, there's a thread that runs right through British counterculture that also runs through those bands and our band. Uh, you know, it, it, it's from another era. It's got roots that go a little bit deeper and um, it's very British, weirdly, you know. <laughs> Yes, I think, yes, it's definitely, you could definitely put it down into this little island. And just kind of, I mean, the future, because there's quite a few people I spoke to quite recently who aren't feeling particularly kind of um, positive about the next year. You know, I suppose politically, sort of thinking about touring and the problems and, and sort of what's happening to the music industry. Because a lot of people who are still playing music who, you know, go back that 30 years, but probably in indie bands, yeah. realise there's so little money to be made now and they're just about keeping it together and they've and they're being in the business and so they're doing what they can and, and they're just about you know got there and and are vaguely happy but they're not feeling confident about the the actual industry yeah, industry it, themselves but then realizing there's another issue to do with visas and brexit and stuff like that and i just wondered how you were feeling about the following year yeah it, there, there was a lot of issues to do with uh, the one, one of the first things that impacted us about visas is that we used to go to America a lot. We established an audience there. And now in recent times, it's not, you know, we put up tours where we're doing this tour and you get a deluge of uh, email from Americans going, like, well, why aren't you coming here? And instead, like, have you seen how much your visas are? <laughs> do you know, it's like it it. it balancing the books in in um in terms of visas visas and carnets and that kind of thing is a serious issue for most bands you know it's the difference between a profit and having a crew you know or cutting down the crew to make it happen um you know you're cutting corners all the time you don't want to cut corners you want to go out there and represent what you do in the best possible way and uh, it, just as bands get established, there's a, a band that shares um, a similar building to us in Manchester called Go Go Penguin, who have been really successful uh, over the past couple of years. Uh, and, and for a jazz band, amazingly so, you know, they go out touring America, Japan, uh, Europe constantly. They're constantly be on the road. But, you know, it's really threatening to a band like that to to, you know, put all this extra cost into a situation like that. You know, um, and they're doing great job of representing British music. You know, it's uh, infuriating to me that that these this small mindedness. You know, most of our most of our ex, uh, ex. I mean, it's a great thing to go and take music to the world. You know, and then meet people from around the world um, and play with people from around the world. This exchange has been completely invaluable. You know. In, invaluable to the input into what makes this music you take a festival like womad you know where they're not uh, uh, the sort of people can't get visas to come and play at it you know from places like africa and um, south america and stuff you know it's becoming um unfluid the the world of of music and it, it's been its greatest asset of music is that you know the this mixing of the world is oh, it's just so depressing that 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 is going to be turned into where it was 30 years ago <laughs> <laughs> indeed something to think about but that 
unfortunately, is the last part of the interview. That's uh, Graham Massey from 808 State. A big thank you for giving me the time for that. This has been David Eastall, the C86 Show. Thank you ever so much for listening. If you want to hear any more of the shows, I'll put them on podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, and also on Mixcloud. Um, just go to at C86 Show, C86 Show, and um, you'll see them there. There you go. This is going to be another track by the band, and this is a new single. This is Temples. Have a great week. <laughs>